Just over a month ago, for the seventh time, the Super Bowl confetti rained down on Tom Brady's shoulders. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers were Super Bowl champs, erasing any hope for back-to-back Lombardi trophies for Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs. But life moves fast in the NFL, and our attention has already turned toward the offseason. And with free agency coming up, and player movement already taking place, it's time to examine what this offseason may hold. I'm Charlie Bevins, your host of the Radio DePaul Sports Podcast. By this point, we're probably familiar with the NFL's dominance of the calendar year. The season says it's September to February, but it really occupies March through August. So as we head into an offseason where franchise quarterbacks could be on the move and much more, I talked to Robert Mays, who covers the NFL for The Athletic and hosts The Athletic Football Show. Because of the impact the COVID-19 pandemic had on revenues, the salary cap went down from last year to this year. I felt that was the best place to start. I mean, if you look at it over the last, I think, six years, it's gone up at least $10 million a year. These numbers are all fudged, so something close to it probably. But if you look at it over the last six years, I want to say it's gone up at least $10 million a year each of those seasons, and now it's going to be down. So not even that it didn't grow, but it's taken a dive. It's just so different than what teams expected. And when they signed the CBA last year, that was at a point where teams had predicted such a jump coming into 2021 and 2022 because of the TV contracts that they were accounting with that jump in mind. A team like the Saints is a really good example, right? Mm -hmm. So they're pushing all this money onto future cap years because they're thinking as long as the growth continues the way that it's going, we won't get bitten by this. We can try to maximize this window. And then all of a sudden, rather than exploding and going up even more than it typically would, it craters. So it's put all these teams in this very weird predicament because no one was planning for this sort of financial landscape, even as recently as one year ago when free agency was getting started. How teams will navigate this cap decline will be perhaps the biggest story to watch, as teams have signed contracts in previous years, assuming the salary cap would steadily rise by its usual yearly increase of $10 million. With it going down, some teams find themselves in a predicament they didn't plan for, and they'll have to get creative. Let's say you're a team with not a lot of cap space. I think a useful example would probably be the Bucks, right? So if you're trying to re-sign Shaq Barrett, Chris Godwin, and Levante David, for example. So let's say you franchise Godwin, and then you're having to flip the other two guys in. Theoretically, you could hand out a deal with a $1 million 2021 base salary with $40 million to sign uh, let's say $30 million to sign over a four-year deal. So that means I think that's 8.25 prorated bonus plus your million-dollar base salary. So you're paying $40 million in cash, or maybe you defer the signing bonus, whatever. But the point is you pay cash up front, even though the accounting on your books limits that cap hit in year one. So that's one way to backload a contract, but in actuality, you're giving a player money up front. So the agent is happy about that. And it's easier to deal with on the books. Some teams don't like to play like that. Some teams are pay as you go. They don't give a lot of money to sign. But because this is a unique circumstance, teams, teams might need to change the way they're going about this. 
backloaded contracts are an option, but I think players are not going to be, if you're a guy in a position to take a multi-year deal, you're not going to want to push money into future years or you're going to want to avoid that as much as you can. So I think that you're going to see more one-year deals for some of these guys than you might in a typical year in order to give themselves a chance to another bite of the apple next year when things bounce back. So, and I think the union is probably telling its guys that that's a smart way to go this season. So I think more money to sign and more teams with cash on hand, wielding that cash and some shorter term deals for guys that aren't necessarily the top of the market players. The NFL has a hard salary cap, meaning there are no exceptions to teams who exceed it. But with the way contracts are structured, there are seemingly countless ways a team can make the salary cap function as more of an accounting tool than as an actual cap on what they can spend. If you're willing to pay cash up front, you can make the cap fake. Because I uh, think, for example, a good team, a useful example might be the Rams this year, right? So the Rams are something like $30 million over the cap as it currently stands. If you look at the base salaries for guys like Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey, they're both around $20 million. I don't think that's an accident that they're that high. So the Rams theoretically could take the $20 million base salary that Jalen Ramsey has, convert $12 million of that to a signing bonus, and pay him the money up front, and then prorate the re- that bonus over the next however many years are left in the deal. So that's a way to pay the player the same amount of money, but also like kind of screw with the salary cap a little bit. So that's what you can do. As long as you're willing to restructure enough guys, you can get around it. But that money has to be paid up front instead of paying as you go. So the teams that pay more cash than they do on the salary cap every single year, those are the teams that you consistently see fudging with the cap numbers. So teams like the Eagles, the Saints, the Rams have been doing that. Those are the teams that are cash spenders, and that allows them to work around the cap. The cap is really an accounting tool mm. for teams like that. But in actuality, they can get around it if they want to. But there's a risk with that because then you're pumping up cap numbers for guys into future years. All right. Now that we've got those finer salary cap details out of the way, it's time to talk about the fun stuff. And that's the quarterback movement. Deshaun Watson of the Houston Texans and Russell Wilson of the Seattle Seahawks could very well be on the move in a trade, only a few years after signing massive contract extensions. Both quarterbacks are extremely frustrated by the environments they're in. Watson has formally asked for a trade from Houston, according to Adam Schefter, and recently told the Texans' newly hired head coach that he continues to have no desire to play in Houston. The big question now is if Watson has played his last snap in a Texans uniform. I really don't know. Because... In Houston's case, the optics of trading him would be so difficult, right? So let's play Nick Casario for a moment. You go in there, your arrival there is already kind of shrouded in this cloud that is the Jack Easterby era, and you were supposed to come in last year, but it was blocked, and the search firm looked for a different – or recommended – excuse me, a different set of GMs. They went with you anyway. The quarterback is upset. J.J. Watt asked for his release. You granted to him. Having your first couple big moves as the GM of a team for the first time, like the sole decision maker for the first time, 
be releasing the best player in franchise history and then trading away, I would say, the second most valuable quarterback in the NFL after Patrick Mahomes, that's a tough pill to swallow. Like, that is a difficult road to walk. And I think that's the problem with this is it's not as simple as how much value can you extract for Deshaun Watson? Because I think that in order to get actual value for him as a player, we're talking about like five first round picks. Like that is real. And that's just not going to happen. So are you willing to take 80 cents on the dollar for him and get completely excoriated by your fan base as you do it? Because all of the goodwill is on Watson's side here. So if he sits out, it's not as if we're going to have an old school mentality of he's hurting the team. This is the wrong thing. So that's another dead end for the Texans to run into. I just think that there's so many factors to consider here that it's hard to understand what's motivating the Texans at this point. I think they're incentivized to hold on to him because they already paid out his bonuses. Now, this is a situation where they've invested so much in him already. And when you combine that with the dialogue around it in the public, I just think it'd be a really difficult bullet for Nick Casero to bite this early in his tenure. But at a certain point, they may have to do it. If he's willing to kind of call their bluff and sit out, then they have to do it. But I think that they're going to try to play this out as long as possible. Wilson, meanwhile, has not formally asked for a trade, but he has given Seattle a list of teams that he would be fine with going to if they were to hypothetically trade him. Reading between the lines, this sounds a lot like a trade request with extra steps. The Athletics' Michael Sean Dugar, Mike Sando, and Jason Jenks published a story the morning Mays and I talked, detailing the divide between Wilson and the Seahawks. I asked Mays his initial thoughts on the situation. It seemed out of the question to me, even as recently as like a week ago. Just because, again, when you're dealing with elite quarterbacks... That they would trade him? Yeah. I just figured it was a lot of... Just a lot of, you know, huffing and puffing that wasn't going to result in much. But... I mean, the story that we did on The Athletic today was fantastic for people mm-hmm. that haven't checked it out. I mean, Michael Sean Dugar and Jason Jenks and Mike Sander did a fantastic job and really kind of pulled the curtain back into aspects of that organization I really didn't know much about. So now that that's out there, you know, the agent is going to Schefter and, you know, giving him a list of teams that he'd be traded to, now that becomes very real. I still think that the Seahawks would have to be incentivized to move him. But now, again, if we're playing the optics game a little bit, it's out there now. And now I think it's become so real that the value doesn't have to be 100%. You're not saying if we don't get this price, we won't do it because now the conversation around it has shifted is that if that makes sense. So I am much more open to the idea and I think it's much more realistic now than I thought it was three days ago. Beyond the quarterbacks to watch in this year's offseason, there are still teams that can control the flow of player movement and draft decisions if they have a lot of cap space or draft capital. The only problem with that is that the teams with the most money aren't always guaranteed to be the biggest spenders. Depending on how much money players want to take, a team like the Jags that has all the cap space in the world, if they're paying 130% more than every other team for free agents, a team like that theoretically could control the market. You know, if they're essentially the Jags now, if guys are going to be getting cut, they're like that guy in your fantasy draft who has 180 bucks left when everyone else is getting dollar players and can pick off whoever he wants. I mean, they can be that if they want to, but you have to have two parties involved to make that happen. Are people going to want to go play for the Jags? And are the Jags going to be in spending mode that early? You know, the same goes with the Jets. Are teams going to want to go to the Jets and are the Jets going to be willing, even if they have a lot of cap, to spend the cash again after some of the larger free agent hauls they've had over the last few years? So if a team with money 
with cap space is willing to wield that cap space, then that could happen. But it's not that it's not that simple. You can't just look at the amount of cap space teams have and say, these are going to be the spenders because if those teams aren't willing to shell out the cash in the short term, which after coming off a year where revenues were down, there are teams that might be thinking more about what their books look like than how much, how many games are we going to win? Then that affects that sort of thinking. So it's hard to predict without knowing the mindset associated with these teams that have salary cap space. Every year, there's a team that makes a big jump for one reason or another because they do a good job of adding to an already solid foundation. I asked Mays who he thought that team could be this year. I think the Jaguars could become interesting very fast. You know, they have DJ Shark and LaVisca Chenault there already. James Robinson had a really nice rookie season. They have pieces along the offensive line, I think an underrated group there, just because no one cares about the Jaguars. Drop Trevor Lawrence in there, and he's good right away. I think that they could be interesting. And again, they have money. So if they go out and find a left tackle, for example, and one more weapon on offense, and Lawrence is just good from the jump, then absolutely that could they could be interesting. I'm trying to think about another team that was not that good last year. Who I think the Chargers absolutely could be as well. You know, I just Justin Herbert. We saw what he did in flashes. You know, that's a team with some resources. Do they go out and spend on a couple offensive linemen, find one in the draft? They need one more pass catcher, but they have some money to throw around if they want to. The question I have with them is how much of that defense are they going to want to keep intact? Because they have a decent amount of pieces over there, but they're also aging on that side of the ball. So if they were to move on from a Casey Hayward, for example, or a Chris Harris Jr. or Linval Joseph, for example, I mean, that's $25 million in space that they could free up right there, and it would allow them to chase some pieces on offense, et cetera. I think that that's one step forward to take one step back, but it also shapes this version of your roster for a new coaching staff if they want to take this thing in a slightly different direction. And just as there are teams who can make a big jump, there are teams who may see the floor completely come out from under them if they don't make the right decisions in an offseason. I think the Steelers are in a pretty bad spot uh, with Ben Roethlisberger coming back. I just don't know what their path is to contention. And if, but with Roethlisberger there, it's just one more year where they may not be worrying about the future. And they are just running into some stuff. I think the bears are in a similar spot. Like they're running in place. In my opinion, I don't know what they could do in the short term to make them a contender. And if they do some stuff that kind of mortgages their future, that puts whoever the next regime might be in, in a difficult spot. So those are two teams that come to mind where I feel like they could get a little bit desperate in ways that aren't good for them. Uh, Other than that, No teams that I think the door is really shutting on. I'm interested in what happens in San Francisco just because there's, I still have a lot of faith in their coaching staff and and Kyle Shanahan and everything else. But if they do bring Jimmy Garoppolo back, which it feels like they might, I just don't know what that team is or what its ceiling is. You know, you lose Robert Sala, you are going to lose some pieces on defense inevitably just because the price going up Richard Sherman, for example. So what are they? You know, are they just the slightly worse version of the team they were two years ago? And what is the path forward if that's what they are in 2021? So they're a team that I feel like their future looked really bright in 2019. And now I think that there's a few more question marks about them. As always, the draft plays a pivotal role in the offseason, giving a single offseason cycle the longest lasting effects. And this year, there are a lot of teams who need a quarterback but are out of range to get one. And there are teams who logically should take a quarterback but may trade that pick and run it back. I think it'll be interesting about 
who lands with quarterbacks before the draft and what that does to the urgency for quarterbacks in the draft. So if you look at it right now, uh, it makes sense for two guys to go one, two to Jacksonville and the jets. And that three with Miami, if I were the dolphins, I would trade that pick a hundred times out of a hundred. If I am sticking with Tua, then I would trade it and get something else for it. Because I think anybody you're going to take at three, it would be worth taking at eight or a comparable player at eight. You shouldn't overrate your ability to pick players. And somebody's going to come up and try to get that pick from you, whether it's Carolina, you know, a team like New England, who I, I, anything they could do wouldn't surprise anyone because we know so little about their thinking. So I just think that how that top four shakes out with Atlanta kind of being the other piece, if they want to take a quarterback at four, if they think this is their best chance to get one. So how those four picks shake out with three and four, for whether it's the Dolphins dra- drafting there or not, and what Atlanta does, I think will help kind of shape the rest of the draft. If there's one thing to remember, it's this. As we move through the offseason, as teams make seemingly strange contract decisions or push themselves up against the cap in a way that feels untenable, it's important to keep in mind that these deals aren't as they appear. Don't let the numbers on over the cap influence who you think is going to sign players and who you think isn't because cap space can be fake if you want it to be. If you want to go win, if you want to really put the pedal down to the floor, you know, we've seen teams doing that. The Rams continue to do that. They were completely fine eating $22 million in dead cap for Jared Goff and moving on and then bringing on Matthew Stafford and his salary. So if teams want to spend, the cap can be fake. So that's kind of the thing to keep in mind. If there are teams that are looking at it, you see that red number on over the cap next to their cap space, that can go away real fast if teams wanted to. Who will land Wilson or Watson? Will they even get traded? Will teams behave differently this offseason because of the salary cap crunch? All of it is hard to say right now. But as is true with every offseason, we should be in for a fun one. Thanks for listening to the Radio DePaul Sports Podcast. Be sure to check out our other podcasts on this feed and our live programming at www.readytopulsesports.com. I've been your host, Charlie Bevins. I'll see you next time.